0: We are going to dive into God's Word this morning. And how, how many of you know where we left off in Colossians? You might re- remember where we left off. It's been so long since we've been there. So we're in Colossians 3. I'm going to refresh our memory here before we dive into where we're at. So we're in the, we're in the series, out with the old, in with the new. And if you remember, we were in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And there's really, there's one section there that really s- Uh, is a catalyst for us as we jump into this next section in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4, the apostle Paul says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And this is the premise of the whole series, out with the old, in with the new. When Paul says that we've died, it means that we have been crucified with Christ and that our life is hidden with Christ, meaning that our new life in Christ is the center of who we are as Christians. And so, typical with the Apostle Paul in, in all of his letters, that's what he does. He, he gives us the, the theology of the gospel and says that this is what Christ has done on your behalf, and because of what Christ has done, this is how you should live. He gives, he gives the theology and then he gives the practice. And this is what he does in Colossians here. So, this is where we're at, and what we're going to do as we go through the rest of the book of Colossians, we're going to look at what the new creation life looks like. What does it look like for us as Christians to live on this earth? And we're all living in different contexts, and we have different jobs, and our family looks different. Some of us have been married for a little while. Some have been married for a long time. Some of us have kids. Some of us don't have kids. Some have grandkids. We have different situations that we face in our life, but all of us as believers, we are called to live out that new creation life, and our life should look different. Do you believe that? Our life should be different. Our life should look different each and every day. As we are growing in likeness, it should look different in the different context that we live in. On our job, we should look different than we did last year. In our marriage, our marriage, don't, don't you want a marriage that continues to grow stronger? I don't want a marriage that gets weaker. I, I, I want to grow more and more in love with my wife. And I, and I want her to love me more and more too, right? That's what we want. we want. We want to grow in our life. And the way in which we grow as Christians, the the, the way we become more like Christ is the process of sanctification. And sanctification, all that simply means is, that's the the theological term meaning that, that, that we are becoming more and more set apart. To be sanctified means to be set apart. We are more and more set apart unto Christ in holiness each and every day of our life. And that is a process, that is a journey that we're all on. And when we're looking at Colossians 3, we're going to begin to look at, as we unpack this, what that new creation life looks like, that life that is submitted to Christ. So I'm titling this message, Alive and Dying at the Same Time. We are alive in Christ, yet we are dying to our flesh at the same time. So the Apostle Paul, though he talks about this, he lives what he's talking about. He talks about spiritual growth and sanctification, but he lives it. He's in that battle that we're in. It it is a battle. It is a walk. It it is a fight to to live for Christ from time to time. And the Apostle Paul talks about that in Romans 7. Have you ever read Romans 7, where Paul seems really conflicted, seems kind of confused, seems like he's in turmoil? He talks about how there's things that I want to do. Let's just read there for a second in Romans 7. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, meaning uh, that I have a new nature. I delight in, in God's word. But I see in my members, in my body, in my flesh, in my mind, my will, in my, in, in my body itself, there's another law that's waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my body. Wretched man that I am. You ever feel that way? You ever, you ever, you ever been tempted to sin and you sin, you follow through with that temptation, and you think, oh, I'm such a wretched person. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? You know, the wrestle... Against sin is a, is, a, is a demonstration that you belong to Christ. If you're fighting against sin, that's because you, you, you love Christ. If you don't want to sin, you see this battle that Paul has there? It, it reflects the reality that he belongs to Christ. Because before you were a Christian, what is sin? I mean, you believed in the big sins and not killing people and not committing adultery, and Right? But when you became a Christian, now the spirit comes in and dwells you and he begins to convict you according to God's word. And now there's a wrestle, there's the same battle Paul has in Romans 7. We have that struggle within us, don't we? It's an evidence that the spirit of God dwells on the inside of you. So this is the new creation life. And we, we need to settle that reality, that that is the new creation life. A struggle over sin in our life is the Christian life. If you don't struggle when you sin, if you don't have a hard time sinning, if you're not a good, if, if you're a bad sinner, meaning that you're not good at sinning, you, you're, do you guys follow that? You're, it's kind of a play on words there, but if you're a bad sinner, you, you're a, a, a miserable sinner, that means you belong to Christ. We should all be miserable sinners. And when we sin, we disobey God, we should feel terrible, and that's proof we belong to Him. And this is the reality of the new creation life, that I am new in Christ, but that new nature dwells in a body that was trained by my old nature. Do you follow that? My old nature is dead. Do you believe that? Your old nature, if you're a Christian, has been buried with Christ. It's gone. Only one new man is risen up in Christ. That is your new nature. But that new nature, was tra- that, 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 that your body was trained by your old man that's buried and dead. So the, the, the Christian life is learning to train your body by your spirit man now. Your new nature has to train your body, and that is the Christian life. And Paul helps us with that in Colossians 3. And we're going to look a little further as we go through Colossians, how that is worked out in, in our life each and every day. So let's, let's stand for the reading of God's word. We'll read the text that we're going to unpack. And we, when we read the Bible, it is God speaking to us. This is God's words to us. In Colossians 3. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So Lord, we come before you this morning as we read your word and we ask that you would speak to us as we go and we unpack the truths of your scripture. Lord, I pray that, that we would receive it and apply it to our life. And God, I also pray that you would help me to open my mouth. Help me to preach the word and help me to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So what do we see here in Paul's admonition in Colossians 3? What do we see here in this text that we just read when we're talking about the subject of spiritual growth, of sanctification, of this battle that we're in? The first thing that we see, it's really clear in the text, is this, is that becoming like Christ does not happen without our consent or against our will. Becoming like Christ does not happen without our consent or against our will. Don't you wish it was like that, though? Don't you wish I could just line you all up right now? Let's all line up, and let's be done with temptation. That would be wonderful. I would sign up for that right now. If that was possible, line us all up. Let's anoint you with oil. Let's pray for you. You'll be good to go. No more sin and temptation. Man, that would be the best life. Then just go to heaven right after that. But it's not like that. Did you see the imperatives that Paul gave in Colossians 3 as concerning our sanctification? Look at back at those imperatives. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Who has to put to death? We do. Put to death what is earthly in you. Put to death the things of your flesh that you used to do when you were not saved that you used to walk in, put those things to death, those tendencies, let your spirit, man, let your new nature train your flesh. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. But now you must put them all away, seeing that you have put off the old self with, with its practices and have put on. These are imperatives that Paul is saying that we are active participants in sanctification. It's not This doesn't happen on its own. We're not going to become mature in Christ just kind of haphazardly living our Christian life. We have responsibility in our life to submit to God's word, to say yes to God and to say no to our flesh. You ever seen an old rusty car? A car that's old and it sat out in the elements. I, you know, I just got a, a, a new used car. I just bought me a used, it's new to me but it's a, it's a used car and it doesn't look rusty, right? I went onto the used car lot and I saw this car and it, it was like a, a light shining above the car. I knew this was my car and I looked at some of the other ones and they had some dents and some scrapes. And when I buy a used car, I want it to look almost new, like we all like. And so I bought that one. But have you ever seen a car that was used and look used? And it was full of, I'm, I'm, picture a car that is really rusty. It's rusted out. Looks really bad. You know, becoming, uh, trying to become like Christ apart from salvation is like painting over that rusty car. Trying to become Christ-like apart from the new birth is like trying to, like trying to paint over a rusty car. What's going to happen whenever time goes on? That rust is going to eat through the paint. And who you are will really come to the surface, right? That paint will come to the surface. It really is still just a rusty old car. So the same is true in our spiritual life. When we come to salvation, we don't come without rust, we come full of rust. You are, when you first got saved, you are a rusty old car, a rusty old Ford F-150. You are rusted out. Now, do we just paint over that rust and say, hey, we're going to be okay and you're going to make it? No. What do we do? We take the sander out and we get to that rust on that car and we begin to sand out that rust. That is sanctification. That is spiritual growth. But, but, but we have to submit and let the Lord come in sand. Down on us. Is it always easy to let the Lord sand on us and buff all that out? No, it's not easy. It's difficult. It requires us to say, yes, Lord, come. Yes, it hurts. I hear your conviction. I I feel the Spirit moving in my life and reminding me that this, my life is not lining up with the truth of Scripture, so come and sand out what is not good in me. And what happens is is he sands out one area and puts a fresh coat of paint right there. And then you got another area that's a little rusty. A little bit later on in your life, he sands out that area as you surrender more and more, and he paints over that area. Next thing you know, before you, before too long, man, you're starting to look a little bit better. You don't look as rusty as you used to look. And that is the Christian life. It's kind of like running a race. Kind of like running a race. You know, sometimes, you know, we, we, we want to sign up for a race, and, and, and we, we think, you know, that it, we're going to get in there, and, and it's, you know, we're not going to ha- train. Have you ever tried to sign up for a race and you, and you didn't train? Have you ever ever done that? Sign up for a race and you didn't train and you get into the race and you realize, wait a minute, uh, I'm in over my head. I saw a guy this morning as I was leaving my my subdivision and he had a tire that was strapped to the back of him. He had, a, he, had a, he had a vest on and he had a tire hooked to the back of him and he was running. And I wanted to roll down the window and ask him, what are you training for? But I didn't want to get into his business. But you know, it takes training when you get into a race. And, you know, I think sometimes we can deceive ourselves into believing that once we're saved, that we can just live however we want to live. But there is nowhere in scripture that gives us that picture. You know, it's maybe it's this idea of fire insurance Christianity, where I I accept, I walk an aisle, I pray a prayer, and then I'll get saved, but Jesus won't be my Lord till I'm ready. Have you ever heard maybe that mindset? Well, you know, I'm saved, and I'm good. I got my ticket to heaven, but I'm going to live how I want to live, and I'll give lordship to Jesus in these areas later on. That's not. There's nowhere in Scripture that gives us that picture that that is Christianity. Christianity is is you're in the race or you're not in the race, that you have given Christ lordship over all or he's not Lord at all. That's the picture of Christianity. The Apostle Paul talks about a race in 1 Corinthians 9. And he talks about that if you're in a race, you run to win. Do you not? Look at 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race, all runners run? It's kind of like the hello, Captain, obvious statement in the Bible. Do you not know that in a race, all runners run? Like, hello, if you're in the race, you run. The first service laughed at that. Y'all didn't laugh. It just didn't go over very well there. But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I surrender to the Lord. I say no to the flesh. I put to death the deeds of the flesh. I make my body a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Sanctification, becoming like Christ, does not happen without our consent or against our will. And so becoming like Christ is the Christian life. It's not a, a side note. That is the Christian life, progressively becoming like Christ, and we must surrender to that. You know, the good news is is that it's a process. That's the good news, is that it's a process. Have you ever been impatient with your children in the process of helping them mature in their faith or in their obedience to you? Have you ever been impatient? Aren't you glad that God is not like us with our kids? <laughs> because if God was like us, we'd be in trouble. Would, would we not? Because you know, my typical reaction now that my kids have cell phones is, is that whenever they do something wrong, here, give me your phone. Give me your tablet. Give me your iPad. I, I just take all kinds of stuff from them and I get impatient and and. But God's not like that. God, God is with us. Whenever we make a mistake as a believer, He does he, he, He is patient. He is a patient father that when we make, make a mistake, when we're in this race of life, of the life of a Christian, when we don't, when we aren't prepared, when we make the mistake, when we blow it, God just doesn't say, Okay, I'm done with you. I'm finished with you. No, he says, Hey, get back up. I'm gonna dust you off. I'm going to show you in my word where you can grow. I'm going to connect you with somebody that can hold you accountable. And you, you, you can move forward. You can grow. He disciplines us, but he doesn't give up on us. He disciplines us, but he doesn't give up on us. Our God is a faithful father who will not give up on us as we push towards Christ's likeness. He will empower us to be conformed into the image of the son. Do you believe that? Colossians 1 tells us that him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. There's work. We're toiling. we're, We're struggling. But what are we struggling with? With all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. And that's the picture of the Christian life. Yes, we have these imperatives that we must put to death what is earthly in us we must say no to sin but Christ it's his power that's at work in us that's empowering us to say no this is the Christian life sanctification will not happen without our consent or against our will we must say yes and this is the first thing that we see that Paul talks about in this life of a new creation in Christ the second thing that we see let's go back to the text listen to what he says here Colossians 3, starting back in verse 5, it says, Put to death then sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming in these you too once walked when you were living in them. So the second thing we see that Paul talks about here in this journey, and this is, I think this is so important and we need to understand this, that sin will seek to hijack our identity. So we must submit to Christ and allow him to work in us and buff off the rust of our life as he, as he paints a masterpiece of our life. But you know what the, t- the temptation is? Is that sin will seek to hijack our identity. Who are we as Christians? Our new nature is in Christ. We are new creations. We are, we are our old life is gone. We are brand new. Our old life and our old sinful patterns should not define who we are. But sin, even as a believer, will seek to hijack our identity in Christ. And notice what he said there. He gives this list and he starts with sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and, which is idolatry. And he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And he says, you used to walk in those. What's he pointing to? He's pointing to our new identity. He says, you used to be like that. So the opposite of, of what he's saying is true is that now you're not like that. So he's saying, don't live in a way that doesn't reflect who you are. And again, I always pick on my kids, but they're just a great example of, of, of I just have endless stories about my kids. But, but how many times you go out in public with your kids and they don't reflect your last name? You ever go out to eat with them? And you think, that is not how buffkins are supposed to act. That's not how karns are supposed to act, right? We, 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 we tell them, live in a way that reflects my name better. Come on now. That's, that's the picture of the Christian life, that our identity is in Christ. And so Paul is saying there in Colossians 3, the way in which you used to live doesn't reflect who you are now. And that is the argument he's trying to make here. Don't let sin hijack your identity. That is not who, sexual sin is not who you are if you're a Christian. You are, you are a new creation in Christ and that, that temptation will try, that sin will try to hijack your identity in Christ. It's not who you are. Romans 6 talks about that. Paul goes on and he says in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. Same argument. How can we who died to sin Sin's control. How, how, how can we still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Don't let sin hijack your identity. It is completely incongruent with who we are in Christ for us to live like those who are under the wrath of God. Did you hear that? It is completely incongruent with who we are in Christ for us to live like those who are under the wrath of God because the scripture says the wrath of God is coming for those who live in those lifestyles that have not surrendered to Christ. And so it it does not make any sense for us as Christians to live in those ways because that's not who we are. That's a big argument that Paul makes in all of his letters about our identity in Christ. Notice the list that he gives there. He starts with sexual morality, It goes to impurity, passion, to evil desire, covetousness, covetousness, and then idolatry. What if you work the, the list backwards? Let's work the list backwards. Idolatry, which is what? Which is false worship. Idolatry, or we could say it's sexual immorality. When you, when you have idolatry in your life that leads to sexual immorality, the idolatry ultimately is self. Worship. So idolatry, which leads to covetousness. And what is that? That is desiring something that doesn't belong to you. So you're worshiping yourself. You covet what doesn't belong to you, which develops evil desires and passions, which leads to impurity, which ultimately leads to sexual immorality. But we are not idolaters if we are submitted to Christ. We are new creations in Christ. As believers, we've died to ourselves when we are called to live out that reality every day, every day. One commentary puts it like this. The flesh will continually dangle the garments of the old self in front of the new man and urge him to put them on. The flesh will continually dangle the garments of the old self and say, hey, why not you put that on? And what's our response? No, that's not who I am. I'm not going to walk in that. I'm not going to do that because that's not who I am. I am a new creation in Christ. I'm not going to walk in that. I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to put that to death because it doesn't reflect the work that Christ has done in my heart. Amen? Man, y'all are quite a bunch here today. Notice that the next list that Paul gives. He talks about anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Don't lie to one another. And what's his argument based on? Because, or he says seeing, because you have put off the old self with its practices. It's the same argument. Two different lists of sins. Anger. What is anger as he describes it there? It's a, that word anger is like a simmering under the surface a boiling anger that's on the deep part of your heart. Have you ever been angry like that? And that simmering anger, it will, it will work itself out in wrath. That's a burst of anger. So that anger is simmering, it's deep, it's boiling. And it works out in wrathful ways where we we lash out at people. And that becomes malice. And then ultimately that anger leads to slander and obscene talk and lying. What's Paul saying there? That that's not who you are in Christ. Both of those lists, whether it's sexual sin or anger, offense, lashing out, slander, lying. It's the same argument that he gives. Because of who you are, because of your new identity, that's not what, how you should live. Sin will try to hijack our identity. This is not who you are if you belong to Christ. This is the appeal of Scripture. When we act out in sinful ways, we may, we, may we be reminded that who we are should be reflected in how we live. So, so, so those are the first two things we see in Colossians 3 here. That if we're going to become like Christ... We're going to have to say yes to him standing on our life and sanding out that rust. And we must daily be reminded when the temptation comes that, no, I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to put that to death. I'm going to reject the flesh and say yes to Christ because that's not who I am anymore. I'm not an addict anymore. I'm not addicted to pornography anymore. I'm not full of anger anymore. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not somebody who lies anymore. That's not who I am. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, that is not going to be what defines me. And I'm going to say no to that. Do you believe that? Amen. Welcome to the new creation life. You guys ready for some some good news here? It's a transition. That's pretty heavy here. But that's the new creation. That is the Christian life. That's, That's where the rubber meets the road. But here's... Here's the best part. You guys ready? Best part is what Paul goes to next. Let's go back to the text. Colossians 3, 11. It says here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. I love that. Christ is all and in all. So that's my third point. This is where it culminates. This is the ultimate argument that Paul is giving here. So here's the third thing we learn is that Christ is all and in all. Yes, it is true that we must put to death. We have responsibility to put to death the flesh. We have that responsibility and we must, we must evaluate our life based upon who we are and not allow the sin and temptation to hijack our identity. But the foundation of this all in this battle against sin, is that we must be reminded that Christ is all and in all. What does it mean here? I think there's two things Paul is getting at. The first one is this, is that as believers, we're all one in Christ. Our identity is not based upon where we come from or what we do or how much money we make or how much we don't make. It's not based upon how we look or how we dress. That as believers, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, whatever your background, whether you're from up the bayou, down the bayou, whether you're from Bayou Terrebonne or Lafouche, wherever you're from, whether you're from Texas or Florida, that, those things are not what makes you who you are. If you're a believer, all the dividing walls are shut down. Christ is all and in all. The things that divide the world should not divide the church. The things that divide the world should not divide the church. We should be a subculture that when the world looks into the church, they should see perfect unity. That's the first thing he's saying, that Christ is in all. That we all come to the cross the same way. The second thing, back into our argument about sanctification and how this has worked out in our life, the first thing he says there is that Christ is all. He's saying that Jesus is everything. That's the second thing he's saying here. Jesus is everything. Christ is all. Christ is better. Christ is the best. And when it comes to our spiritual growth as believers, it's more about choosing the best instead of settling for a substitute. Yes, we must put to death the deeds of the flesh. But what are you doing when you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh? You're choosing what is best. It's not about this battle and I, here's where we struggle is that we just think we just got to fight off the we got to fight the devil, fight the devil, fight the devil. Yes, fight the devil. Put to death the deeds of the flesh, but but the greatest way in which you fight the devil is to say yes to Christ. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to the better. The temptation's going to come and Satan's going to dangle it in front of you and say, here, come back to who you used to be. Come and follow after the ways of the world. And Jesus is over here saying, no, just choose me. That's how you fight the battle. That's how you win the battle is to say yes to the best. How many of you, how many have ever been to the store and bought these bad substitutes? Dr. Thunder and Dr. Choice. You ever bought these? This is ridiculous. This is a bad excuse for soda. But what is Dr. Thunder and Dr. Choice? They're substitutes for what? Oh, man. Dr. Pepper. I I should open this up and drink it right now. I'm kind of thirsty. I need some sugar. But 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 look, they're trying their best to to be like Dr Pepper, but they're a flawed substitute for all you Dr Pepper drinkers out there, or anything Coke. Like I, I could have bought Coke. No, there's only one real thing, that's Coke. And, that, and the same, same same goes for Diet Dr Pepper and Diet Coke. I'm sorry if you drink Diet Dr Pepper and Diet Coke, man. That is nasty stuff. That's <laughs> some bad. You need the real sugar in there. That aftertaste is terrible. Just, you guys get my picture here? It, 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 it's, it's a flawed substitute. And that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to buy the Dr. Choice and the Dr. Thunder. I'm not comparing Jesus to Dr. Pepper, <laughs> I promise. Jesus is far better than Dr. Pepper. I'm not saying Jesus is Dr. Pepper, but you guys get my point, right? It's about choosing the best and not settling for substitutes. This has always been Satan's strategy. What did he do in the garden with with, with, with Eve. He came and that was his argument. Look, look, look at his argument. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of, eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, she looked at the Doctor Thunder and the Doctor Choice, and she saw that it was good for food. It's really not good for anything, much of anything, really. And it was a light to the eyes. And the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her. Satan's strategy has not changed. He comes and parades substitutes that really aren't anything like the real thing. He parades things around and says, "Just yes, take, take part in that. Come this direction and you'll follow me, follow my ways. They're, they're flawed substitutes. He, his strategy has not changed. He still deceives people into believing that his ways are better than God's. And if we're not careful we can get sucked into believing that we are missing out when we follow christ have you ever tried that argument with your with, with your children and as they're growing up did your parents try that argument with you you're not going to miss out on anything yeah the world looks cool the world looks cool right they look cool they have all the cool music and they have all the cool stuff and and they look cool and and but, but we try to tell them you're not going to miss out and some of you may think well this just sounds like a children's church argument it's the same argument that we make to our kids that we've got to remind ourselves of as adults. Yeah, the world may look like they have it all together and they may look like they have all the things that we would desire. But it's the same argument in Genesis that we face here today, no matter how old, young we are or old we are. We cannot buy into the false substitutes. It's about choosing the better and the best, which is Christ. Christ is all. Christ is all. Will we believe that Jesus is better? That's the Christian life. That is sanctification. Will we believe that Jesus is better? That's how you put to death the deeds of the flesh. When the temptation comes, what am I going to believe? That this sin is better than Jesus? No way. No way. Will we believe Jesus is better? That he is the greatest satisfaction? And that his ways are better. His ways are the best. Christ is all. D.A. Carson, theologian, says this. When it comes to our Christian life, we are not captured by his holiness and his love. His thoughts and words capture too little of our imagination, too little of our discourse, and too few of our priorities. Isn't that true? We don't see Christ as the better, as the best. We're not captured by his holiness and by his love. His thoughts and words capture too little of our imagination. Too little of our discourse and too few of our priorities. Or put another way, Jonathan Edwards says this, the most pleasant accommodations, fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. Christ is the best, Christ is all, or put another way. John Piper, in his book, Living in the Light, he says this, the Bible shows us another way. When Jesus Christ takes his glorious place at the center of the solar system of our lives, the massive pool of his all-satisfying beauty corrects the erratic path of every planet and makes the whole system sing with joy. Piper has a way of saying confusing things. Let me read it again to you. Listen to this. The Bible shows us another way. Here's a picture. When Jesus Christ takes his glorious place at the center of our life, when he is at the center of our life, the massive pull of his all satisfying beauty, it corrects the erratic path of every planet. We have a tendency to not see Christ as all beautiful. We have a tendency for our eyes to be led astray, to look at the things all around us in this world and to be deceived and to think that they are better and that they will satisfy. And Christ is here saying, no, look to me. Look at me. Don't you remember before you came to me that the end of all of those paths ended in emptiness? And as Christians, that's what we need to see. We need to see the beauty of Christ. That His all-satisfying beauty, it corrects the erratic path of every planet in our life. And it makes the whole system, our whole life sing with joy. Or put yet another way, Philippians 3, 7 and 8, "But but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for for whose sake I have lost all things. Listen to this. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What did Paul say? Paul had a clear revelation that Christ was the best and was the better. He took all of his accomplishments. He was a Jew of of all Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. According to the law, he said he was blameless. He took all those good things. He took all the bad things. And he said, he said, I consider all of them garbage that I may gain Christ. Christ is all and in all. How do we win the battle of temptation and sin in our life? By choosing the better, by choosing the best. I don't want to speak to somebody here this morning. If you're here today and, and you feel like, well, I, I've just done too much. I've done too much. I've rebelled too much. I've gone too far. May I remind you of the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. May I I remind you of that. Prodigal son came and said, Father, give me, this is a parable Jesus told, come, give give me all of my inheritance now. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want what comes to me now. So he got. Father gives him the inheritance, and he goes. The the Protestant goes, and he spends all of the money. Scripture says on riotous living, on fleshly living, and he gives it. He spends it all, and he ends up in a pig pen, about to eat the food that pigs eat because he had no money left. And he comes to his senses, and he realizes. Wait a minute, my father, even his hired servants, they eat good. And this is the same picture of a person that chose the things of the world thinking they would satisfy and and he needed to be reminded no that at my father's house with christ that's where the best is that's where true satisfaction is and what did he do he turned around no matter what his past looked like no matter how many failures he had made no matter how many failures you have made no matter how many times you've turned your back on God, if you will but in a moment turn and say, Lord, I reject the things that I used to run to to find satisfaction. And I realize and I recognize that only in Christ is there true joy. And all I do is turn. That's all you gotta do is turn and just start heading back. And what does the parable saying? in Luke 15? It says that when the father saw the son afar off, that he ran to meet him. And that's the picture of the father that we talked about earlier. He's gonna come after you. He's gonna pursue you. He's gonna clean you up. He's gonna put a robe on your, on your back and put a sand, new sandals on your feet and a ring of, on your finger. And he's gonna welcome you back with the fatted calf and he's gonna rejoice because my son who was lost is now found. My son who was gone is now home. Amen? I consider all things a loss. I consider them all garbage that I may gain Christ. Amen. Amen. That's how you win the battle against sin and temptation in your life is to look to Christ. Father, we thank you for your word here today. And for those who are here today, that what I said there about them blowing in and have done too much, gone too far, God, I pray that this moment, this moment that we're in right now would be a reminder to them that no matter how far they've gone or what they've done that they can be right with you they can be in relationship with you I pray that in the quietness of their heart right now God you know their heart you hear the meditations of their heart right now I pray that in the quietness of their heart that they would just but say yes to Christ turn their back on the world and say yes to Christ And, Lord, I pray for those of us, Lord, that as believers in Jesus, I pray that we would always fight the battle by choosing Jesus. I pray that we would always fight the battle against sin and temptation by choosing Christ. Help us to mature, to become like you in the ways in which we think, talk, and act. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you. You are dismissed. I'll see you next week.